0: Today we're discussing page 15 of the Weird Weird West. This page begins chapter 6, entitled The Research Shack, and as you'll recall from last time, our heroes, the Misfits, after running into some Crozar in the desert with some machinery trying to figure out the time disturbance, the Misfits then made their way to the Crozar camp, scoped it out, did some spying, snuck in using a diversion against the cosmically gullible Crows are, and then made their way into the research shack, which is continually described in the text as isolated from the rest of the compound, even though it isn't. And now they're here to look around, having had their curiosity peaked when six mysterious black robed figures walked out of the shack a few minutes earlier. As they enter, the misfits don't know what they're going to find here, but I do, and that's why I'm excited today. They're going to find meaningful chances to use their skills, they're going to find the conflict that drives the bulk of the adventure, but most importantly, they're going to find an opportunity to do some 1980s computer hacking. That's the one I'm most excited about, but let's get this other stuff out of the way first. Now, first I have to mention, this adventure is not nearly as linear as all of this in World War II. And as a result, there are lots of different ways that different playthroughs might lead you to this shack. You can end up coming here way later in the adventure if you take a different path, and you're going to hear that in the text that I quote, We're following the Misfits' who are coming here after sneaking in off of that ridge, over the trees maybe, through the Crozar base, and, and and into the research shack. But that's just one route to get here. A route, as it turns out, that once again gives our sneaky hero something to do. Quote, If the heroes must break into the shack, that is, you are coming from chapter 5, one of them must pass an excellent intensity agility feat roll to pick the lock on the outer door. The door of the shack is of excellent material strength. The area around the shack isn't very well patrolled by the Krozar, so no one will notice the character's efforts if they are able to get into the building in three rounds or less. If it takes the heroes more than three rounds to pick the lock or get past the door, roll a d10 each round thereafter. On a roll of 1 to 3, they are noticed by the Krozar walking about the compound. Their immediate surrender is demanded by 20 Crozar soldiers armed with the neural stunners described in Chapter 5. I want to take a moment to praise good design here, and also to shout out a listener and personal friend, F. Douglas Wall, whom I know as Doug from way back. You'll see his comments on the Patreon from time to time if you're a patron. He's the author of the Adventures in Oz RPG. Doug made a good point in a comment on Patreon where he mentioned that the opening scene in this adventure, with the number puzzle to repair the time machine, is kind of understandable as an effort by the author to try to engage the whole group in something that isn't combat, Given that, in the event that the players are playing randomly generated heroes, like they're playing original characters from this game's character creation system, they could be all over the place in terms of power level, in terms of different powers, different abilities, different skills. There's no guarantee that any particular ability is going to be present. So trying to create something for the characters to do that isn't combat, where they can all participate, it's kind of a way to shortcut that problem to pitch a challenge at the players rather than the characters. I continue to believe that isn't a very good idea, but I agree that that I think that's what the author was motivated by. I think throughout this adventure, the author was looking for ways to diversify the play experience since he didn't seem to be able to find a way to kind of get there within the context of the game's standard rules. I don't think he could find a way to make something other than combat really sing in this system, and so that's why he was resorting to these kind of -of out-of-character, weird puzzle quiz hijinks. But this little challenge right here is a good example of the author succeeding where he failed right at the beginning of the adventure. Not every group is going to face this challenge, right? There are other ways to get to this scene that don't involve any lockpicking or whatever. Once you are here, lockpicking is kind of the assumed way to deal with it, but it's not by any means the only way. There's a generalized set of stakes and consequences. There are patrols, but they're infrequent, so you've got three turns to get through this door somehow. Once that time has elapsed, then there's a 50-50 chance every turn that you get busted. Now, you could do a lot of things here. You know, vision could walk through the wall and unlock the door from the other side. Uh, the material strength of the door is given. So somebody could, you know, pull a Jessica Jones from the Netflix show and just kind of super strength force it open, just kind of casually busting the lock. If nobody's very good at lock picking, the other members of the team could buy the lock picking individual a little extra time with diversions, various stealth powers. There are a lot of ways to handle the situation, but the author is still able to give a highly specific challenge with highly specific stakes that's wide open in terms of how you go at it. So this seems very simple, and it is, but it's also elegant design. So I just wanted to take a moment to say something nice. This is good stuff. And maybe I'm extra positive on it because it's a lockpicking challenge, and one of the members of the Misfits has the lockpicking talent. Superball's human alter ego, Rhonda De La Cruz, is proficient at lockpicking from her training and experience on a bomb squad. So good for Rhonda. She's going to be really handy here. Once she's cracked the lock and the Misfits go inside, they will find the shack, quote, completely deserted. All of the Crozar scientists are out on data collection missions similar to the one encountered by the heroes in chapter four. It goes on to say that there is a map of this shack on the little cardstock foldout that we talked about on day two of this book. That's the map that, if you do the measurements, seems to indicate that the seats in the lab are little one-foot squares, suggesting that the Crozar have small butts. It's not conclusive, but my mental image is of a small butt alien, as yours should be. Anyway, the upshot of this is that this whole shack is available for exploration. There are a number of different rooms. Quote, computer slash data room. This area is likely to interest the heroes the most. As they enter, they will find a large computer storage bank and a desk. Spread out on the desk are two copies of a map of the entire area around Dodge City, as it has become after the disaster. And this is where the judge gives the players a big map of the Dodge City region that comes with this adventure. Quote, inside the desk drawers are several piles of papers. One such pile contains a series of military projections, reading, quote, Our scouts have found that we are not the only warriors that have been swept up in the temporal disturbance. Here I am doing my lizard person voice, which is only a slight modification of Garrett Wong's impression of Kate Mulgrew as Captain Janeway. Apparently, representatives of Earth's Napoleonic, Hellenic, and Marauding periods are present in this area as well. It seems that these three factions have begun an all-out war for control of local territory and resources. It should also be pointed out that the three factions are under the leadership of the legendary Napoleon Bonaparte, Alexander the Great, and Genghis Khan. So there's plot point one. The Crozar have established that all different groups from all over Earth's history are here, and specifically there are three military factions commanded by Napoleon, Alexander the Great, and Genghis Khan. Who is, by the way, identified as being from Earth's, quote, marauding period. No proper nouns for you, Mongols. Quote, another paper reads, I concur with General Alzon. Seizing military control of the surrounding region would certainly expedite the efforts of our researchers. I suggest a military assault against the Hellenics so as to capture an access route to the nearby mountain chain, where we could plant our beta bomb. And then in parentheses it says, Serial number XX7654C, decode XNAV. Let me just take a moment to say that I think... Parenthetically stating the serial number and operating instructions of your equipment every time you mention it in a memo is not only redundant in a security risk, but also a profligate use of company ink cartridges in an office environment located in 1871, Kansas. To continue. Properly placed in the mountain chain, the beta bomb should set up a geothermic reaction which will destroy everything within 20 miles of the nearby village. Approximate death toll equals 400,000, leaving the entire region open to our troops and researchers. Estimated chance of success is 99%. It is estimated that only a combined alliance of all three of the human factions could successfully oppose such an operation and prevent us from reaching the mountains in force. It is unfortunate that we have only one bomb on hand. Another would up our odds to complete certainty. So, this is a memo from the science lizard on the team saying, It would really help our researchers not to have to deal with all this war shit, so we suggest... That we take our beta bomb, fight our way past Alexander the Great's forces, put it up at a very specific point in the mountains, and if we blow it up up there, it's going to destroy everything and everyone within 20 miles of Dodge City, which is just going to make for a lot fewer distractions as our team, you know, sets up little scanners and watches the monitors. Like, why not kill everyone? It can't hurt our scientific efforts. And the memo goes on to say that they project a 99% chance of success. The only way they think they could be beaten in this is if Napoleon, Genghis Khan, and Alexander the Great all teamed up to fight them. It's just too bad they've only got one beta bomb, which only makes it more unnecessary to routinely recap its serial number, by the way. Quote, tacked on to the end of the report is a message, quote, operation approved. Prepare to move immediately. Hostilities will commence in 104 hours. From the time stamped on the message, the heroes can easily determine that the Crozar assault is scheduled to begin in exactly two days. So we've got two days to save 400,000 people. That's some good, solid superhero shit and we get to save them from something called a beta bomb. Once again, very comic booky. You know, we're superheroes. We will save people from conventional military weapons, but we prefer to save people from fancy-pants sci-fi weapons. So this is right up our alley. But anyway, all that stuff is just scaffolding to set up the story as we continue. The main thing on this page, the dumbest and best thing, comes when someone on the team says, Is there any other information on these computers? And the judge says, There might be. It depends. Is this your world? The world of the electron and the switch? The beauty of the bod? Are you a gift to posterity, preserving Angelina Jolie's boobs circa 1995? Are you, in short, hackers? At which point the players say, hell yeah we are, and here's what happens next. Quote, the heroes can also gain valuable information from the Crozar computer. In order to do so, they must first hack, in quotation marks, hack their way past the computer security system. In order to access the computer files, the heroes must type in the proper four-letter password code. Anyone that has a reason of excellent or better that looks at the computer can determine in five minutes that the four letters that make up the password code are A, B, F, and G, although not necessarily in that order, those crafty crows are. I could tell by looking at their computer for five minutes that they were going to have a four-character password composed of the capital letters A, B, F, and G, but it seems that those crafty lizards have mixed up the letters. Why, with that kind of obfuscation, there are over 250 possible passwords to try, We could be here for minutes, minutes, but we won't be because we're fucking hackers. Quote, at this point, allow everyone present to make an excellent intensity reason feat roll, applying the appropriate column shifts for computer talent. Anyone who receives a green result or better realizes that A must be the first letter in the password. Anyone who receives a yellow result or better realizes that G immediately follows B in the code. And anyone who receives a red result or better realizes that the F is the fourth letter in the sequence the proper password, therefore, is ABGF. I almost stopped there to give you time to work it out yourself, but this is not the most challenging of puzzles. This this is like the Magna Carta all over again. Assuming that you make your excellent intensity reason feats, which, once again, give you different information depending on what color you get, even though the way intensity works is that you need a specific color or better to pass your test at all, so that, for example, if you have excellent reason and you attempt this excellent intensity reason feat and you roll a green, you don't get the first clue that the author describes here, you get nothing, because that's the way intensity works. Why can't the author understand? But anyway, quote, "'Give the heroes only one chance to guess the proper code. If they guess incorrectly, the security system automatically shuts down the computer, and it cannot be reactivated. If the heroes guess the correct code, they receive all of the following information. One, the Crozar are part of an alien alliance that dominates the Earth in the early 21st century. They were pulled into this era by some sort of strange temporal anomaly they do not understand.' Their ultimate aim, of course, is to find a way to return to their normal time period. Two, the Krozar scientists are completely unable to offer a credible theory explaining the time disturbance. Three, the Krozar have collected reams of data on all sorts of energy readings taken in and around their camp. Presumably those are literal reams, since the Krozar do not seem to have moved past the inkjet stage of sentient civilization. Anyway, quote, The Krozar have collected reams of data on all sorts of energy readings taken in and around their camp, hoping to find some sort of explanation for the space-time phenomena. None of the figures are of any use to the heroes. Number four, the alien research teams have not been able to collect as much data as they would have liked because they are constantly running into hostile creatures and travelers displaced from other time eras. The researchers warn that these creatures must be cleared out of the region if their efforts are ever to bear fruit, since the Krozar do not have enough soldiers to send out powerful military escorts for every research team. And then finally, five, quote, recently... The Crowsar were approached by six mysterious hooded figures, one of whom displayed amazing scientific prowess. The Crowsar somewhat reluctantly struck a bargain with the Strangers. The aliens would allow the Strangers access to their computer equipment in return for any knowledge the Strangers collect concerning the temporal anomaly. The stated aim of the Strangers is to find a way to return home themselves. It sure feels like what the heroes got into here was some kind of, like, personal log. Because it's really weird to identify your new allies as six unknown hooded figures in official documents. It's weird to even note that they were wearing hoods, honestly. Like, how do you alphabetize your data file on mysterious hooded allies one through six? But anyway, it's really only that last point that tells us anything we didn't know or couldn't have readily guessed. We now know that the hooded figures and the Crozar are allies, but they are two distinct groups, and the hooded figures have struck a bargain to get access to the Crozar's equipment. Other than that, like, Crozar researchers are having trouble because of all the fighting going on out here around Dodge City. The Crozar don't know what's going on with the time stream. The Crozar have futuristic tech. The Crozar have been doing all kinds of research in the area. We kind of knew all of that, but it doesn't matter. This hacking minigame is its own reward. So ridiculous. Like, the idea that you can look at the computer for five minutes and realize that the password has to be a four-character code with only four possible letters in each slot. The use of Roman alphabet letters... For the crows, our password. I mean, throughout this adventure, we're just going to have to not think about languages, but that's a lot easier to do when you're just chatting and you can assume there's some kind of weird translation effect happening because of uh, telepathy or temporal disturbance or whatever. Then when you're like looking at a keyboard with four big chunky buttons labeled A, B, F, and G, and you've got to figure out literally what order those letters go in, uh, the use of the computer talent to guess a password rather than getting around the password in some manner and the ability to just use raw reason for this with no computer skill. Characters who can't use a computer at all can just use their straight-up intelligence to figure out the Crozar's password, which is not like a word. It's not like the name of the Crozar's dog or something. It's just letters. I'd love to, like, play a character with the anthropology skill and try to argue. Like, based on my observation of the Crozar, can I sort of surmise which semantically meaningless sequence of four letters would be the most appealing to them? Or, you know, maybe this isn't so random. I mean, this is the crows are language, not English. So, you know, maybe they do have a dog named Abguf. I don't know. Anyway, I I am just old enough to be nostalgic for this time when like normal people had no concept of how computers work. And hacking was this sort of pseudo magical intellectual discipline, like astral projection or something. And there was this like slowly solidifying pop culture concept of the hacker as like a teenage Jedi kind of. I love that shit. And I'm delighted to see it here. It's extremely dumb. It's one of my favorite things. For the sake of completeness, I'm actually live on mic going to roll for the Misfits to see if they get this information. It doesn't matter, but like, just to try it out. Like, here's a thing that's very straightforward to see how these characters actually do. So just to put this adventure in the system through its paces, what the hell? Join me as I hack the Gibson. Conveniently, every member of the Misfits has a reason of excellent, and no members of the Misfits have relevant talents here. So after five minutes, everybody on the team realizes all at once that this is going to be the four-character password made up of the characters A, B, F, and G. Then everybody gets to make their excellent intensity reason role to get clues to what the password actually is. Once again, Super Ball is going to be abdicating this to her theoretically less super-powered form uh, as Rhonda De La Cruz, who, in addition to being better at lockpicking than Super Bowl, is also smarter. All right, so let's see what Rhonda gets. Big swing and a miss for Rhonda. Glass Cannon gets a yellow, but it's six points away from being a red. I think, realistically, she's going to spend the six karma to get all the clues. But just for the sake of completeness, uh, Dr. Ja, even closer. She rolled a 92. She needed a 95 to get the red result. And Silver Siren, only a green, which I think the author intended to give her the first clue, that A is the first letter. But because of the way the intensity rules actually work, uh, it would give her no information at all. But yeah, despite having no relevant talents, uh, this is a pretty bright group. They're going to hack this computer, they're going to figure out the password, they're going to get this info, and they're going to be well-positioned to get out there and stop the Crowsar from detonating this beta bomb and senselessly murdering 400,000 paper-thin historical caricatures. However, it won't be as simple as just going out and finding the beta bomb and disabling it. At least the author claims it isn't that simple, for reasons I don't fully grasp. Tomorrow on MDC, The Mega Dumb Cast. This has been MDC. New episodes drop every day except for Sundays, when all the previous week's episodes drop in one big megasode on the top secret patrons only RSS feed. If you'd like to get access to that feed and support the show, go to patreon.com/slash megadumbcast. Contact me however you want. I am Megadumbcast on Twitter, Gmail, Podbean, your favorite podcatcher, etc. etc. This episode's theme music used under Creative Commons license, is Western Firefight 2 by Kula, whose work you can find at Kula.com. That's C-U-L-L-A-H dot com. Thanks for listening.